This is the Immigration Conversation presented by Fragman, a series of talks and discussions by leading immigration lawyers and professionals from around the world. We'll bring you the most up-to-date business immigration news, issues of concern, and strategies in the world of global immigration and mobility. My name is Jake Paul Minster. I'm an associate with Fragman's Boston office, and we're here to talk about the World Cup in 2022 in Qatar, as well as 2026 and what to expect in the US, Mexico, and Canada. I'm joined by my partner, Azim, who's in the Qatar office, and I'll allow Azim to introduce himself. Thanks, Jake. Hi, everyone. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening. Uh, my name is Azim Mahideen. I'm a partner at Fragman, uh, based here in Doha. Uh, and I was uh, able to fully immerse myself in the World Cup experience. And I'm really excited to share my experiences uh, and also ask Jake a few questions about the 2026 World Cup too. So looking forward to this conversation. All right, perfect. Thanks, Azim. So I'm ready to hit the ground running here. What was your experience like? Uh, I'm really keen to hear about it. Uh, you, I know you were able to, to make it to a a few matches there as well um just please let us know what, what it was like yeah well i mean where do i begin the the world cup for me was just an absolutely amazing experience um i moved here to doha in 2019 and and just seeing the development of the country from when i got here to the actual delivery of the world cup was just just amazing um and i got to see so many matches as well and, and, and you're right i got to see the the quarterfinals the semifinals and i was there for the finals as well so you know just just from that perspective it was just uh, absolutely incredible um i think i think a couple of other things that really kind of resonated with me and and really meant a lot to me and the people of of qatar was the fact that this was a world cup of so many firsts Right, it was the first World Cup to be held in the Middle East, um, the first World Cup to be held in the winter, um, the first World Cup where three female officials officiated a match, um, and I think my favourite stat that I read was this was the first World Cup where a player scored at every part, every point of the tournament, so from group stages all the way to the finals. And that was, of course, the greatest of all time, Lionel Messi. Uh, and I got to see his goals as well, uh, you know, for the quarters and, and semis and the finals. So just absolutely amazing from that perspective. Um, I, I think the other, the other aspect for me that was really great was the fact that it was such a safe environment. Um, Qatar generally is a very safe country. Um, I think Doha was ranked second uh, in terms of the the safety index, and you know, just seeing you know families, children, kind of being able to go out and enjoy the matches was just was just great. So all in all, it was just yeah, amazing experience. Awesome, awesome. Yeah, I am. Uh, I can't wait for that in 2026 here in the U.S. So hopefully, I'll have some good stories like you have. Not to call it soccer, uh, although no promises here, Zim. I apologize. Uh, <laughs> yeah, you probably shouldn't. Although I'll tell you a funny story. When I was at the US uh England match, um at one point the the England team just weren't doing very well and the US soccer fans were chanting, It's called soccer, it's called soccer and everybody was going wild for that. But yeah, it's definitely called football, uh Jake, so let's keep <laughs> let, let's keep it that top. I'll knowledge. try to get it right throughout the podcast, I, I, I promise. So so you touched on some of the cultural aspects, you know, having this tournament in Qatar. What what are some of the broader impacts that it is it's had on the country? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, of course, you know, I, I think all World Cups have had, you know, some some levels of controversy and, and Qatar was no different. Um, I think, you know, from from our perspective, what we've seen is that the World Cup 
certainly has provided uh, an impetus for broader change, particularly in the immigration and labor landscape. Um, the the I think some of the changes that have really impacted uh, even if our clients um, have been around the removal of the non-objection certificate. So that's where historically you would require permission from your existing sponsor to be able to change to another sponsor, um, and that was removed. And so you know the freedom of um, movement within the country between one employer to another has just become you know much more easier. Um, and I, I saw a stat to say since since that change came into force there's been over 300,000 successful applications uh, for uh, to enable people to transfer from one job to another so you know that's been a really really good um, positive impact um, we've seen some some other changes too you know from the policy and, and, and legislative perspective we've seen uh, a non-discriminatory national minimum wage uh, which saw you know so many people just overnight having a pay pay rise um, we've seen the uh, creation of labor courts so just an increased access to justice so you know just from that perspective I think the FIFA World Cup has been really good for the country um, really positive um, developments I mean really hope that they you know that they remain and, and continue to to be built on that's fantastic. So geographically, the, the size of Qatar, it's just under 3 million people, right? Yeah, around 3 million, yeah. Okay, so I'm, I'm interested to hear, you know, how, how the, you know, how the government, how you helped manage this influx of people that were going to come, you know, not only play in these matches or coach in these matches, but also the fans that were traveling from around the world. Yeah, so the main mechanism that was used to manage the inflow of people into the country was the hire card system. Um, and that was, it was a really good digitalized process whereby people would apply online, um, initially for people who had match tickets, um, and you would use your kind of match ticket number to apply through this system. Um, and on approval, which was which is quite a short turnaround time for approvals, um, that would you would be issued with a higher card, and that would be your visa into the country. It would also be your access to stadiums, um, and also would enable you to use public transport for free as well. So um, that that like I said, that was the main mechanism. I actually have my higher card um, with me here, or my son's higher card. You can see what it looks like, but it's pretty cool. This little this QR code here um, you could use it um, at the e-gates at the border um, as well and, and like I said to to enter into uh, the stadium so, so it's really really good the way that the process worked um, we it's been so successful actually that the the higher card system so anybody who was issued with a higher card um, that has their entry into Qatar would have been extended until January 2024 now, so if you were able to come into the to the world for the World Cup, you can still use the higher card to to visit Qatar. So, you know, just from that perspective, it was a really well run operation. Um, so, I think I think where there was some work to be done was around um, companies who wanted to bring workers into the country. And whether or not they could use the the higher card, um, and, and we'll come onto that in a bit more detail. But effectively, the higher card system was for people who were coming to visit uh, or attend a match, but also was expanded to people who would be attending with somebody who had a match ticket. So if you had a match ticket, you're able to invite at least three people to come with you to the World Cup. So, you know, it was quite an expansive um, system, which again was used to manage the flow of people into the country, considering the size of Qatar.
That's very interesting. So you touched upon, you know, the the companies coming in, managing their mobilization, you know, leading up to the World Cup and during the World Cup. And, and I'm sure given all of the other immigration that's happening at that time, uh, just around the World Cup made it a little difficult to plan around companies and their mobilization of their glo- uh, global workforce. So, so can you touch a bit on that? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think, you know, again, in view of the size of Qatar and, you know, the just the the broader considerations logistical considerations of operating a world cup um in 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 qatar uh, there was some you know uh, apprehension at least from the business community on how they'd be able to mobilize workers during that period um and although you know the we knew that some kind of visa system would be in place the the higher card system like i mentioned it wasn't clear whether other types of work visas or permissions would be you know would be granted during that period so what we did with our clients is we 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 were as proactive as possible and we set up various different um potential kind of outcomes of you know an immigration policy you know whether it's uh slower processing times whether it's you know no visas being issued um and so what we kind of ended up uh, doing for majority of our clients was working through the best possible way to get our clients in the best possible position so that would be things like either making sure that you are ready to mobilize so getting your quotas ready in advance making sure that your corporate compliance is in order um, and also if it's possible to do so to mobilize or obtain visas earlier than the world cup actually began so in Qatar, when you have a work visa that's usually valid for three months um, and you have that three month window to enter the country. So many of our clients opted to obtain visas in advance so that, you know, if they needed to mobilize earlier, right, they could do so. Or if it became apparent that during the World Cup, they could still enter, they would have their permission already. So we wouldn't be subject to any delays because of, you know, the immigration authorities being busy with, with other things. So those clients that, you know, pre planned and pre-prepared were in a much better position than than you know some of companies who who do didn't really have a plan of action for the world cup so i think you know my messaging would be plan as early as possible if you can make a plan in terms of who you think might be needed in the country uh, at any given time the earlier the you, you know the better and then getting yourself like i said ready to be able to kind of pull that trigger when when you need to perfect that's really great advice so so all in all um you know it sounds like qatar was just a great experience uh, what do you see next for the country um you know given the world cup the success um and, and the, the way forward yeah, I, I think that's been the million-dollar question for everyone in Qatar, even before the World Cup. What happens next? Um, you know, we've spent so much time kind of building up to the to the World Cup. Um, I think I think there's a couple of things, um, Jake. I think sports will continue to be a big thing. I think there's a big investment in sports in the sports industry. Um, I I am aware of at least 80 different kind of tournaments and events being held this year. Um, I was just a couple of weeks ago, I was at the ATP uh, tennis tournament. It was good to see Andy Murray. Um, there's everything from judo to fencing, you know, to horse riding, you know, you name it. So I think the sports industry will be, you know, uh, one to, to look out for. Um, I think, you know, traditionally there's always been a, a heavy a heavy reliance to an extent on um, the energy sector uh, and that's kind of 
you know, prevalent across the, the Middle East. Um, I think that will continue. There's a big uh, oil, oil and gas um, uh, expansion project going on right now. I think tourism will be pretty big. And I mentioned the higher card um, has uh, has been extended until 2024. So, you know, I think I think there will be, you know, focus on these industries as well. But the, what we're hearing from our clients is not only you know have they invested a lot in the country as it relates to the preparation of for the preparation of the world cup but also just sustaining that investment so you know building upon what they've done already so that you know there's a lot of consultancy projects a lot of the work in in the defense sector so i think a, a lot will still go into those sectors just kind of maintaining and sustaining what they've contributed already awesome awesome that sounds great well, thank you so much for sharing your experience on Qatar, um, and, and I'm, I'm, I'm keen now to discuss the, the U.S. And, and Canada and Mexico a bit. Um, yeah, yeah, maybe, maybe I'll, I'll flip it around, Jake, because I'm, I'm really interested to see how that will work. But uh, maybe as, a, as an opening gambit, what do you think you know, some of the major differences would be between the Qatar 2022 World Cup and the 2026 World Cup? Well, so right off the bat, there's going to be several differences here. The the um, the expansion of, of the amount of teams that are in the field. So we're going to 48 teams. It's a 50% expansion now um, from what the World Cup was in, in Qatar. So that's a lot more teams. It's a lot more. It's a lot more visas needed for players and personnel. Not only that, you're looking at a massive distance. So this is going to be in Mexico, the United States and Canada. So you're going to have games as far south as Mexico City and as as, as you know, far north as, as Vancouver and Boston. Really, you're looking at about 2,700, 2,900 miles in difference um, across three different countries. So, so it's a massive, massive undertaking in, in a huge area. Yeah. Um, and that, and that, 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 that's just so different, Jake, for, in Qatar, because, you know, here we were able, some people were able to visit, you know, three different matches on the same yeah. day, right? And that's not going to be possible. I mean, even if you held it just in the United States, if you look at the distance between the West Coast and, you know, the East Coast or the Northeast versus Miami, you know, there's going to be games in South Florida. It's it's just, it's a lot. It's a long distance. Um, the World Cup hasn't been in the U.S. for quite some time, to, but to expand it to three countries, it's it's really going to be something else. Um, you know, and, and obviously that raises some some immigration, some U.S. you know related immigration concerns with the expansion. And, and you have to look at it kind of in two buckets. You're going to look Look at one, the players, the personnel, the support staff, the managers. Um, you know, are they going to be able to obtain their visas in time? And especially coming with this expansion of teams, you're going to see teams like you. You know, based off of last year's qualifiers, teams like Iraq, um, Mali, the Democratic Republic of the Congo, Ukraine. These teams would have made the tournament for for an expanded tournament. So the other bucket here is really you're going to look at the fans and whether or not we're able to actually get visas processed for fans to come into the country. And that's just going to be through a visitor visa. Um, so, you know, the, the U.S. has a lot of groundwork and, and, and we're going to we're going to try to, to, to help them out as much as we can and see see what might happen here. Yeah. And what does and it's interesting what you mentioned, but what does a, a typical visa process look like for the U.S.? Yeah, absolutely. So we talked, I, I was talking about these two different buckets. So I'll talk about players and personnels first. So so typically when you need a work type visa to come here to perform to work, um, you know, there's several different categories. But the typical process is that you would, you know, we, we would put together a petition, we file it with United States Citizenship and Immigration Services. 
they would then approve that petition. After that approval, we get a notice. Uh, it's on a green piece of paper. And we then have to schedule an appointment at a, at a U.S. consulate abroad for, for whoever to go obtain a visa stamp and then enter the U.S. with that visa stamp. So it's, it's a pretty lengthy process. Um, you know, I don't see that there are going to be too many issues with that because I think athletes and, and managers, personnel, they're going to be prioritized throughout the entire process. The other bucket here is really the fans, and that's the most important bucket, in my opinion, because fans are what make the World Cup so exciting. So you're looking at fans and visitors that want to come visit the, the United States or, or albeit Canada or Mexico, and they're going to need visas in order to do so. And, and what they're going to have to do is they're going to have to schedule appointments at consulates around the world, obtain a visa stamp, and then enter the U.S. with that visa stamp. You know, I, I'm, I'm interested to see if we implement something similar to a higher card. I'm sure there will be something similar to it just because in, in 2018 in Russia, there was a similar card. So we'll see what happens there, uh, you know, and, and stay abreast of all the developments. But, you know, the U.S. really has to do a good job getting it right and making sure that we have consular officers trained, um, enough consular officers in, in, in different locations to, in order to to kind of clear the backlogs that we have now in, in, for the visa process and also be able to take on this heavy burden of getting, you know, hundreds of, of thousands of fans into the country. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you just touched upon that, but what do you think the U.S. Uh, could start to do now, you know, to ensure that it is able to meet the demand of, you know, so many international travelers coming in. Yeah, I mean, there, there's got to be some sort of task force that, that the government sets up in terms of training officers, in terms of, um, you know, getting getting the, the visa, uh, visas for staff, players, personnel. Um, that needs to be a priority. Um, you know, coming up with some sort of card, like the higher card that will help facilitate the global movement of the, these fans into the country. Um, you know, also working with other uh, other countries and other governments to identify people who, you know, don't have any criminal background, who might be easier to go through the process. You know, we, we talked about this before we started the podcast, but there, you know, in, in football, I won't say soccer, there is there is a term called hooligans for specific types of fans, right? Those fans are basically fans that support their club or their, their country, and they wreak havoc at stadiums. They drink, they fight, they do things that are illegal and that's exactly who the u.s doesn't want coming to to ruin these types of matches right we want this to be uh, for families to come and enjoy um so really working with other governments is going to be really important as well just to determine what you know what we see um on the ground and, and who you know who we can help get into the country as quickly as possible yeah and actually just on that point i mean that's something that we saw in qatar there was a lot of kind of cross-governmental um, an international collaboration to prevent, you know, those kind of people coming into the country. And that's you know, one of the reasons why Qatar was such a safe place uh, for the World Cup. You know, very few incidents happen that, that I'm aware of. So um, I think that's that's certainly something that will need to be uh, continued. Um, but I just wanted to go back for a second, Jake. I just wanted to understand one kind of point around the logistics and, uh, and uh, the, the three different countries. So could it be possible that an individual would have to apply for three different visas to attend matches in all three countries? 
It could be. Yeah. I mean, I haven't heard anything yet on there being some sort of free travel uh, between the three countries. And I, I very much doubt that that's going to happen. I'd be very surprised if it did happen. Um, I, I will tell you that there is free travel between the United States and Canada if you're a Canadian citizen. Um, but, you know, for those who are traveling to Canada from other countries to watch a match in Toronto that want to then come to Boston to watch a match, they would require a visa in order, depending on, on where they're from, they would require a visa in order to come to the country. And let me just hit on that, actually, in terms of visa requirements. Um, you know, I, I said this bucket of fans and players, you know, within that bucket of fans, there's also visa waiver countries that don't require visas so long as they don't have criminal backgrounds. They, you know, there's no issues on their on their history. But that's really only a handful of countries. It's about 40 countries. They're mostly European. Um, there's none in the Middle East. There's maybe a few in, in Asia. Uh, so so when you expand that field and you're looking at these different yeah. teams from Africa, maybe Eastern Europe, it makes it a little bit difficult. So, so they're really not going to benefit from that process. Yeah. So maybe that's, the, that's a good segue to my last question. Maybe just a, a summary Jake, if you will, of you know what we could expect um, the 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 visa process overall to look like for for twenty twenty six, and if there's any kind of tips or tricks you could share at this stage, I'm sure that we'll have these conversations as we get closer to the date. But is there anything kind of top of your mind that you that you think would be good to share? Yeah, I mean, I think you hit on it earlier, Zim. It's it's important to to plan, plan, plan ahead, especially for companies that want to mobilize talent to bring them into the United States. To know that there's going to be this disruptive process here um, with the World Cup, um, and for companies that want to bring people in to watch the World Cup, you know, it's 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 going to be important that they plan ahead. They they do things early. Um, you know, I, I always I always said, if you're early, you're on time. If you're on time, you're late. And if you're late, you're forgotten. And that's going to be the process here. It really it really is important to, to, to plan ahead. You know, we I talked to a, a consular officer about the, the whole situation. And basically what they said is they think that, you know, these these players, you know, the personnel, the staff, the managers, they're going to be prioritized. That's not going to be an issue. But, you know, the issue remains whether or not we're going to have enough concert officers on the ground throughout the world in order to get fans in, you know, and, and so, yeah, I think we're going to see something like a higher card. I think, you know, we're going to see the U S really make an attempt to, 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 to make this one of the best tournaments ever um, and to facilitate these global visas everywhere they can. Um, but again, you don't know what the, you know, in the U.S. it's it's so interesting because you don't know what the administration is going to be in 2026. I mean, we have a Biden administration now who knows who the president's going to be in 2026 and how that might impact the uh, the global flow of, 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 of talent and, and fans that want to come into the United States. Um, you know, also, you know, we're, we're hopefully coming off of COVID, but, you know, if there's another uptick or if there's something else that does occur, uh, that could that could really cripple the entire process as well. So let's hope that doesn't happen again. But again, I think the biggest thing is plan early, you know, be, keep abreast of all the updates that are happening. Um, you know, reach out to us, Azim and I, uh, a fragment to, to, to see what the updates are and how we can help you plan for, for your, um, you know, for your trip here or to get your global you know your global talent mobilization uh, mobilization of your of your workforce here um but you know i think we're going to see updates they're going to happen very quickly um and you know it's not that far away we're, we're we're talking about what two three and a half three years and some some change you know so yeah 
Yeah, if there's one thing I could share, if there's one thing I could share, uh, when I got here in 2019, I thought the World Cup was, you know, a long time away and and it creeps up on you so fast. So you're absolutely right. Uh, Plan uh, and plan ahead as early as possible. Um, I I think, I hope, you know, the the experience that you have, uh, uh, Jake, is as good as mine. This is the, this is the, uh, the World Cup ball. Right, this was the one using the final. It's called uh, Al Hilm, which translates to the dream. Um, and the 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 ball pr- prior to this one was called Al Rihla, which means the journey. So you have the journey and the dream, and it's certainly something that we were able to uh, fully enjoy. I also hope that your mascot is as cool as ours uh, uh-huh. that we had. Um, time will tell. But um, but I think we've shared some really good information uh, on this podcast. And you know, like Jake said, if anyone has any questions or you know wants to get more information about our experience here in Qatar you, you know where we are definitely thank you Azim, for joining me and you know I hope that uh, as, as developments do do occur we can get back on here we can talk about them and uh, and hopefully you know you'll make it out here for for the the, the World Cup in 2026 let's see if I can get a visa <laughs> <laughs> I can help you with that all right good stuff <laughs> take care the immigration conversation podcast is presented by Fragment the leading firm dedicated exclusively to immigration services worldwide. This episode is current as of the date of recording. With frequent changes in global immigration, be sure to keep up to date by visiting our website at www.fragaman.com and subscribing to the Immigration Conversation on your favorite podcast service to hear the latest episode. This podcast is for informational purposes only. This podcast does not constitute legal advice or give rise to an attorney-client relationship between any listener and our firm. If you have any questions, please contact the Global Immigration Professional with whom you work at Fragamin.